Shall we turn to our hymnal number 19? I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad, and built the lofty skies. I keep saying, turn to your hymnal. I know that the words will be behind me, that I'm the one that needs the hymnal. But at least for those who are joining us online, if you do have a hymnal at home, and maybe that's a good idea to have one, to be able to join in all the more. And we trust the Lord will draw near and help us in this service this evening. Number 19, let's stand to sing. seated. Reverend Ferguson will lead us in an opening prayer. Our loving and gracious God, we rejoice that we are found in thy house in the midst of thy people. We know it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. It is sweet uh, to trust in the Savior, the Son of God. We thank thee, O God, for those who have gathered into thy house We pray that the hand of God will rest upon each one. We pray, our Father, for those who know thee not as Saviour, that they might be troubled, that they might hear the call of the gospel, and that they might be led to Christ to taste and see that the Lord is good. We think of those, Lord, who cannot join with us. Some, Lord, are weak in body, aged and infirm. Some perhaps are weak in mind and distressed and troubled. We realize, O God, what an awful thing it is to be uncertain and to be facing an uncertain future. O God, we pray that thou wilt minister comfort 
to those who are distressed. We thank you that Christ is a sympathetic Savior. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Thank you that Christ knows all about troubles and trials. He has passed through them. He has known the difficulty and the sorrow and the trouble of being criticized and ridiculed and and ultimately of being rejected. The people crying out, we will not have this man to rule over us, release unto us Barabbas, let him be crucified. And, O God, we pray that our hearts will be in sympathy with Christ as we think of his sufferings, as we think of his sorrows, as we think of the awfulness of his death on the cross. But, Lord, may we also be in fellowship with him when we think of the triumph of his resurrection. We bless thee that the hymn writer could say, Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Saviour, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose, with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor o'er the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. How we bless thee, Lord, for the triumph of the resurrection. We thank you that Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he ever liveth to make intercession for all who come to God by him. And grant our God that while the note of sorrow over the death of Christ is sounded out and the purpose of that death is explained, may we also rejoice that we have a living Savior, a victorious Savior, and one who is willing to answer the faintest cry from our heart, and able to save, and willing to save. Bless all our families, all our loved ones, how precious our loved ones are to us, and how we grieve, and how we are troubled when they are troubled, when they are sick, when they are cast down. Lord, it hurts us. Bless our families. Let thy hand be upon them. Remember, O God, the cause of Christ in this land. Remember the cause of Christ in every land. Thou hast said that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Send forth thy light and thy truth. Send it forth in power and let many be brought out of darkness and into thy most marvelous light. We pray for thy servant as he takes up thy word and as he leads this service. We thank you for him. We thank you for his ministry in days gone by for the long ministry he has had over there Uh, in Vancouver, Uh, and Lord, we pray that uh, thou wilt bless him tonight uh, as he reads the scriptures, and then, Lord, as he brings to us the message that thou hast laid upon his heart. Give him a fresh anointing. Give him liberty in the pulpit, and may the power of God rest upon him. We also pray for the pastor of this church. We thank you for him. We thank you that he is a man of God, And may he be greatly used, not only here, but as he travels here and there. May he know uh, thy help and thy anointing, uh, and may he know thy sweet presence. Uh, May he have thy presence as he prays, uh, as he studies, as he serves. 
So, Lord, we commit everything into thy hands. We rejoice in thy goodness. Help us to resist the devil and to put him to flight and to serve thee faithfully and to serve thee well. Hear, O God, and answer prayer. Forgive us our sins. Lord, we have sinned against thee so many times. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us through the precious blood and enable us to live victorious and holy lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. We appreciate you helping us in the ministry of prayer. We're coming to the Psalm 1 and the Psalm sections at the back of our hymnal for those who may be using one somewhere. And we're going to stand to sing this hymn, That Man Hath Perfect Blessedness. Please be seated. We'll open our Bibles at the book of 1 John, and we're turning to chapter 2. This will be message number 3 in the book of 1 John. If you remember earlier in the year, uh, we looked at an appreciation of John the Apostle. That was a way back somewhere January, February. And then in July, we got to chapter 1, and tonight it's going to be chapter 3. We appreciate your faithfulness returning to the Lord's house this evening, even though for many this is a time of family visits and travel and here and there, and 
here you are tonight. It seems that our summer is coming to a very quick close, and people will be folding up their cottages and locking up their boats and waiting for the ice to form. But we are Christians. We don't believe in letting the ice uh, take us over. We're going to march on, and we trust the Lord will help us tonight as we come to this second chapter of First John. And we're going to read the chapter because I think it will help us. It may take a few minutes to read, but it may save us many minutes when it comes uh, to the preaching. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Amen. May the Lord in his grace write these words upon each of our hearts tonight. And again, I'm going to call upon Mr. McAnally to come and bring a few announcements and also to welcome you tonight. Good evening, everyone. Once again, good to see you in the Lord's house tonight, even through the wet weather, quite the change from Monday to today. But we're good to see you here in the Lord's house this evening. We had quite a few visitors in this morning. We welcomed them, and I missed welcoming uh, Ria's sister, Nellie, Nellie this morning, so I apologize, Nellie, for that. But we're always happy to have Nellie here with us, visiting from overseas. And also tonight we have Ria's nephew, Marco, we welcome you, Marco, tonight as well. His wife and the little one are just watching at home right now online, uh, but they're, we're happy that they're here visiting as well today. Right after the evening service tonight, there will be a uh, choir practice for the youth. So if youth, if you can just come right after the service, meet around the piano just for a short time of practice. 7.30 on Wednesday will be our Bible study and prayer time and Mr. Daniel Siman will be along to bring the word on Wednesday. 
As I mentioned this morning, we are looking forward to the 30th anniversary services in Port Hope at the end of the month. And that Wednesday night of that week, we will not have our Bible study and prayer time here in our church, but we will move that to Port Hope to encourage as many as possible to attend those meetings. And if you need a ride, as I said this morning, please ask me and we'll sort out a ride to to help get you down there if you're able to. Uh, But if you're not able to attend in person, the services will be live streamed on the church's Facebook uh, page. Also on the Saturday of that week, the 28th of October, there will be a dinner uh, for the church there and everyone here is invited. Uh, We don't have all the details yet for that, but by next Lord's Day, we will have a sign-up sheet in the foyer that if you're able to attend that dinner on the Saturday, the 28th, you'll be able to put your name down and all the details we'll have for then. And of course, Reverend Ferguson, who was with us this morning, we appreciate our brothers, appreciated his, his word today, and he will be the guest speaker at that conference in Port Hope with the theme of the life of a true Christian. And so we look forward to those meetings. As I mentioned this morning, we were rejoicing in some uh, people reaching out to us as a result of the postcards that we had sent out. There was 10,000 postcards went out in the mail throughout the area. This time, as you know, we decided to put them through Canada Post because we could not always get into the apartment buildings, whereas the post office can do that. And so it was good to receive a couple of emails already requesting some Bibles. And so we encourage you to pray on that those postcards will not fall into the recycling bin, but the Lord will use them for his honor and glory. This morning, our brother Alex was in Cedarbrook for the second Sunday, and we ask you to pray for that ministry as it recommences after COVID had closed that door for a while. And so our brother is in charge of that ministry, and he has already approached some of the men here, I know, to help in uh, those weekly meetings. And so pray for this ministry and for some of the young people, too, that will go and play their instruments and, and will go and sing. So remember Cedarbrook, please, in your prayers. Thank you to everyone who is able to participate in our food drive, bringing in those non-perishable food items in the church foyer there. We appreciate that. And if you did not get a chance to do that, we'll leave it there in the foyer until Wednesday. And you're able to come on Wednesday if you didn't come prepared today. But those will be all boxed up and will be given out to needy families in our community. A note of rejoicing and blessing, one of our students in our school, one of our high school students, professed faith in Christ in just this recent week, and we rejoice with one of our teachers who had the joy of leading this young man to the Lord, and so that's what we've been praying for. We want to educate our children in the things of different subjects, but ultimately we want to educate them in the Word of God, and so we've been praying for this, and we continue to pray that the Lord will save souls in our school. As you know, Pastor Saunders is away today preaching in Winston-Salem, and he will be away on Wednesday as well, but he'll be back with us, Lord willing, uh, next Lord's Day to preach at both of our services. So we pray for his safe return once again. We're thankful to have Reverend Gulliver here tonight, here preaching for us. He's certainly not a stranger in our congregation and he's coming now more often since their move to Barry. Might have to give him a membership card to fill in now that he's here so often, but we're very happy to, to have him and Mrs. Gulher as well in our presence this evening. And we'll just hand the meeting back to him. Thank you. 
Well, that's very kind of Mr. McAnally to suggest membership here. Uh, I would be afraid of that. They might accept Beulah and reject me, and uh, she would be in and I would be out. Um, we always enjoy the fellowship of you here in this congregation. We have enjoyed fellowship today with the Reverend McClelland and his wife and Mrs. Saunders for lunch, and I know Reverend uh, Ferguson would also extend his thanks for that kind uh, provision for us today, an opportunity to catch up, and it's great to see Dr. McClelland uh, up and going again, and we trust that he will go on from strength to strength. This week, your minister has been a very busy man at our presbytery. Uh, that means that uh, he fills the chair and directs the traffic. It's a bit like an airport controller that brings the aircraft in and gives permission for them to leave. And uh, through the week, there were a lot of items. But he did it so quickly that we wrapped up the presbytery business on Wednesday. And I can never remember that happening before. And so on Thursday, we had an extra time for preaching and prayer, all because of the efficiencies of your minister. And we certainly thank him for that. Of course, he's the kind of man that nobody dares say no to, so he can get things done quickly. The highlight for me of the week of prayer was to hear young ministers pray, uh, both newly ordained ministers. We had Logan Elder in our Orlando church, and last January he was ordained to the ministry, and uh, then we had the new minister in my old church, Cloverdale, British Columbia, Reverend Andrew Fitton, and uh, online we had uh, Mr. Dodurno, Frank Dodurno, who is now over in Fredericton. Then there were a number of students. Some were present, some were online, some were from Mexico. And the surprise to me is that they could pray online in English so that even I could understand. And uh, it was a joy to see uh, these young men stepping up into our various ministries, and we trust that many more young men will be part of that. Of course, we have uh, Daniel in our congregation, and he's the new guy at GRS. I was asking him how it's going, and he says, great. Well, it's early days yet, brother. Uh, the, the end is not yet, but uh, he says that he's enjoying it. That's a good sign. And I'm sure Dr. McClellan will give a full report or a greater report on the activities of our presbytery uh, when he returns. And there are some items of good news and prayer requests and so on. And we do thank this congregation for the vital part that you play in the life of our presbytery of churches in Canada, U.S., Mexico, and our missionaries here and there. We're going to sing one more hymn before we come to our message tonight. It's 278. O Savior, as my eyes behold, the wonders of thy might untold, the heavens in glorious light arrayed, the vast creation thou hast made.
stand to pray. Father, we rejoice tonight in our Savior. We thank Thee for the miracle of our redemption and of the new birth. I thank You for each one in this meeting tonight who is born from above. They have been brought out of the bondage of sin into new life in Christ Jesus. Thank You for each testimony and each one that is going on to glory, we ask that you will minister to every soul. O oh Lord, come near to us as we open your word. Grant you'll bless us. Give help, Lord. Give help to me, I pray 
In my Savior's precious name, amen. Amen. First John is a wonderful book. I feel that I've never read it before, and I'm learning things for the very first time. Isn't it amazing that there are so many parts of the Bible, we read them as young people, and I would have preached on some of them, and yet, over time, as we come back to them, they just shout out, look at me, study me, and we'll learn the great truths of Christ and the gospel with freshness. It's a marvelous thing, because a Christian is a growing, living, and miraculous production of God's grace. And God is not done with us yet. We learn in this book that God is constantly pouring in His life into our souls. It's called eternal life. It's life that comes into a dead sinner's soul, and it's like a dead shrub dried out, and suddenly it blooms, and there's new life and new fruit. If you're truly born again tonight, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what has happened in your life and in your soul. We have learned that the key word in this book is koinonia. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. It's the word translated into our English, fellowship. But it's not just sitting beside someone in church or meeting another Christian through the week or having them over for coffee. It is partnership with God. Christians are not just imitators of the Lord. We are in partnership with the Lord Jesus. This, of course, is the new birth, to be born again. And by this we know God. And John says in that chapter 1, verse 3, truly our fellowship, our partnership is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And John argues that point right through the whole book, right to the end of chapter 5. Chapter 1 is how come? How is it possible that a sinner could have a partnership with the living God. Chapter 2 is what happens when you're born again. And there are ten things that happens. Chapter 3, by whom? Chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed. You didn't work it up. You didn't earn it by your religiosity. You didn't gain it because you had some 
opportunity that you grasped and you went through with it. No, God bestows this grace of partnership. And then chapter 4 is, so what? Who cares? The false prophets don't care. John cared. Born-again Christians care. The born-again people who form the Christian church care. That's chapter 4. And then chapter 5 is, Whosoever believeth, he that overcometh the world does so by faith. Whosoever believeth in the Lord Jesus. Now, that's a very rapid outline of the whole book. We're coming tonight to chapter 2, and the heading is, What Happens? when you become a Christian, when you're born of God. And these now become tests. Some people say, well, can you really know? Is it possible to know that you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son? Can you really know that you are in partnership with God? And John is 100% certain because he wrote over and over again, we know. Look at these ten things with me very quickly. Now, this is, this is just the introduction. This is not a ten-point sermon. Now you can breathe a sigh of relief. won't be a ten-point sermon, but there are these ten things. We'll look at them very quickly. What happens when you're born of God? Verse 1, a new hatred for sin. Beloved, believe not Oh, sorry, chapter 2, 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. That's the mark of the new birth. And then, secondly, a new love for God's Word. And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. And then thirdly, a new walk. Verse 8, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. And you remember, it is we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. So there's a new walk. Verse 9 to 11, you have a new love for fellow Christians. Verse 12, a new liberty in Jesus' name. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. Can you say amen to that? John's writing to these Christians this letter, and he, he knows them, and he's able to say, your sins are forgiven you. There are some preachers, and I would call them preachers of doubt, and they cause people to doubt whether they're saved or not. John certainly didn't write like that, and I don't think he would have preached like that. You're not here tonight to be convinced that you're not a Christian, but rather you want to be reassured and consoled and encouraged that it is well with your soul that you are born again, your sins are forgiven. And then also there's a new victory. That's number six now. A new victory, verse 13. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him 
that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. And then verse 15 to 17, you've overcome the world. Number seven, there's a new loyalty. Verse 18, little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for they had not been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. And so there's a loyalty born into the heart of the born-again Christian. Number eight, verse 20, a new understanding. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. You have a discernment you're able to know the difference between light and darkness, between truth and error. That's the mark of being born of God. Number nine, and you abiding in the Son. Verse 24, let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. And that goes on right down to verse 28. And then our last one, Number 10, a new test of the new birth, doing righteousness. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now, I've taken the time, uh, taken the time in a, in a very hasty manner, I would say, to try and point out these 10 things because I want you to grasp the concept that conversion to be born again is a radical thing. It's not a little whitewashing. It's not just a little painting over a problem. It is a miracle and a radical change that happens within the heart. Every convert can sing, what a wonderful change has been wrought in my life since Jesus came into my heart. Now, this truth opposes easy believism. And I think you're mature enough as a Christian to know that this is the curse of North America Christianity, new evangelicalism, easy believism. Just use the name Jesus and you're a Christian. Just sign a card, and you're a Christian. Just walk the aisle, and you become a Christian. And you can see here in this chapter 2 that it is much greater than that. Now, conversion is easy, yes, for it is God's work, but it will produce a whole new life. Paul said it, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. All things pass away, and all things become new. Now, is that true in your life? I do not know how you grew up. I don't know how you were before you came to this church. I don't know your old life. 
I, of course, see you in the fellowship of this church. And you enter in, you sing the hymns, and you take part in the services. And I trust that you enjoy what you hear and participate in. But is there this radical change in your life? I want to give you some reasons from this chapter why conversion is radical. Number one, because converts are made to know God in their hearts experientially. Let me repeat that. Converts are made to know God experientially. A repeated word in this book, and really emphasized in this chapter 2, is the word know, as in to know God in heart. And this knowledge of God is His light shining into your soul. And converts are brought out of a spiritual darkness, the Adamic nature darkness, into new light in union with the Lord Jesus. You could say your eyes are opened. Some phrase it, the light comes on. Once we were blind, but now I see. And this kind of knowledge, to know God in heart, is really the genius of the whole thrust of John's message in this book. The repeated word, to know, is the word gnosko, and it means to know in your heart, to know by experience. There's another word that is used just a couple of times in this book, and it's the word ido, and it's in the English translated the same, but in the Greek it's really different. The I don't know is to it'd be like someone standing outside peering in the window. And they could perhaps see what's going on to a high degree. They can observe. They might be able to hear. They might be able to figure out who's who on the inside. But they're on the outside. And they don't really experience the atmosphere. They don't grasp everything that's going on. They're just observers. But John chose the word gnosko because it means to know in your heart. Now look at verse 4 and take it in here. Year of God, little children. Sorry, back over chapter 2, 4. He that saith, I know him. He that saith, I know him in heart, and keepeth not his commandments. The two things don't go together. Now, the one that's looking on the outside, just an observer, he can say, I know, but he has no interest in keeping the commandments. But the one who knows God in heart, by experience, John says, that person, that man, that woman, that believer will desire to keep the commandments. And that's a great, marvelous work of grace within our hearts. Now look at verse 5. 
But whoso keepeth his word, and in verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. And the word again is gnosko, know in heart, know by experience. It's not just a catechism doctrine. It's something I experience in my own soul. Look at verse 13 of this chapter. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him. That is, from the beginning. You've known him in heart, by experience. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known in your heart the Father. And this is the thrust of John's message. You can go down the chapter, verse 14, 18, 20, 29. So we learn that conversion, the new birth, cannot fail to be radical. This is more than head knowledge. It is to know God in your heart. And so we can say that anything that does not lead a soul to know God in the depths of his heart is not true conversion. You will be able to say in your soul, I not only know about God, but I know him. I have a personal relationship I am on the inside. I have experienced this miracle. Now, you cannot walk in the dark when God is in the light. In chapter 3, 9 to 11, uh, you will see this, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, does not habitually, continually go on sinning, See, the curse of easy believism and antinomianism is to say a person can profess faith in Christ with no change in their life, no new walk, no desire after God, no loyalty to God. John knew nothing of these things. So that's the first reason that conversion is radical. It is an experiential knowledge. Can you say tonight that the Lord hath changed me from the inside out? It's not just putting on a Sunday suit. It's not just a cosmetic cover-up. You've got a new heart. You've got new desires. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, another reason that this conversion is so radical, because God converts souls through the power of His Word. The Bible is the dynamite of your life. It gives a mighty new power in your soul. And we're made loyal to God's Word. I want you to see John's logic, chapter 2 and verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. John's big on this. 
John's very emphatic that this must be. And if there is someone who says, I'm born again, but they have an argument with the Bible, there's a problem. This is one of the mighty tests of our conversion. There's an automatic correlation between our new hearts and the Bible as the Word of God. Peter put it well. If you go back to 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, he said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Now, what's he talking about seed? The Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Notice it's a living Word. And when you are born again, you receive a new heart with the law of God written upon your heart. It's as if a surgeon did surgery on you and opened up your heart and put the Bible right inside you. The Word of God now becomes meat and drink to you. It becomes your life. And Peter went on to say about desiring the sincere milk of the Word. All babies desire milk. If a mother finds that the child is not interested in, in milk, the child is not well. And so a person who says, I have no interest in the Bible, I have no interest in opening it and reading it, meditating on it, coming to church to hear the preaching of the Word, it is of no interest to me whatsoever. I'd rather be talking about cars or Monday morning business or something else. My mind and heart is away out there in the world. The Bible does nothing for me. How can you say that you're born of God? Our Westminster Confession of Faith is actually very strong on this. And in sec chapter 1, section 5, there's a little clause that says, Our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. And so those theologians of 1647, when they drafted this wording and said, we want something that explains what happens when a person is now professing faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit has done a work of saving grace in their souls, what is their relation to the Bible? And here it is. They're persuaded not just by the preacher, not just by a parent, not just by reading treaties or topics, but by the Holy Spirit. It's an inner work, an inner conviction, delighting now in the Word. That's why I wanted us to sing the Psalm 1, that blessed man, that delighteth in the law of God day and night. And that's the miracle of grace within the believer's heart. I move now to number three. 
Conversion to Christ is radical because it powerfully turns our love away from the world to love the Father. Now, John says this uh, right there in verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These things are two opposites. When you are born again, the love of the world is taken away, and the love of the Father is planted within. And the new birth makes us lovers of God and lovers of God's children. You've heard the adage that a man is known by his friends. It's like when you drop the schoolboy off at school and the boys are all out on the playground and the parent can see the types of boys that he is attracted to, the bully of the playground, or the quiet child, or the studious child. And you might say as a parent, now make sure you sit beside Tom because he's a good student. He'll be a good influence on you. But most children would say, no, I want to be, I want to be with the, the big guy and under his influence. And when you become a Christian, You've got a desire to be with God's people. That happened to me when I was converted at age 18. I went along to Oma Free Presbyterian Church. I actually have to thank my mother for prompting me to go along and uh, sat under the gospel for several months and came to faith in the Lord Jesus through the preaching of the Reverend Cranston. And so when we come to these special meetings and that dinner that's planned, uh, I trust that I can be there. I want to be uh, a witness to uh, that week of meetings and to the events that will take place in Port Hope. I was born again. I'd already been involved in the Young Farmers Club. A few young men and girls that were just chummed about. The Young Farmers Club was fairly innocent stuff, cattle judging, visiting farms, and get-togethers at, at an orange hall on a fairly regular basis and activities and games and so on. But once I was born again, I knew this is not the place for me. And no one told me Ian, you're a Christian now. You can't go there. No one said to me, it's time for you to cut the links with that group. But I walked in one evening. I was actually the treasurer of the young farmers, and I had the books with me, and I told them I cannot come back because I'm now a Christian. God gave me the grace to say that. Of course, I started attending the Youth Fellowship of Oma Free Presbyterian Church, and there I was with those that loved the Lord. 
And I also had a young lady that grew to love me. And so the Lord in His providence and His ways drew my heart away from those that were living for the world to those that were living for the Savior. And this becomes a test. What do you do with your free time? Where do you want to go when you really have the option? This is not work. This is not now the necessity of life. This is now my free time. That will tell a whole lot whether you are born of God or if you be a child of the world. Now, what's wrong with the world? Here in this chapter, John gets into it, and we learn that chapter 3, he brings up Cain. Cain that was angry with God. Cain that slew his own brother because he was accepted of God. And the child of the world was hostile to the child of God. And the world, of course, has a chip on its shoulder. And God gets the blame that life is not fair. The world wants approval, even in its rebellion to God. And, of course, our approval is never enough. They want us to go along with them. It's not enough to say, well, if that's the way you want to live, you're free to do so. No, no, no. Join us. And if you don't become one of us, then you're our enemy. And this is even more magnified in present, uh, the, the homosexual gender agenda. It's not enough for us to say, you're free to live that way. You have to be an ally. You're to be a supporter. You're to come out and show that you are on their side. And, of course, a Christian can't do that. The love of the world is contrary to the love of the Father. Now, the church is the place where the world is countered, not approved. And the ministry of the Bible-preaching church is to help people get the victory over the world. You'll see there in 1 John 2.13, I write unto you fathers because you have known him, that is, from the beginning, I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. And then on down in verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The Christian can't agree with the world, can't join in the ways of the world. A Christian must oppose it. When I went along to the Youth Fellowship in Oma Free Presbyterian Church, I learned the choruses, and a particular chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, I have decided to follow Jesus. That was one of the first choruses I learned as a new Christian. And, oh, it set my face toward the things of God and my back to the ways of the world. 
I was born of God. Have you that testimony tonight? There are many people in this world, and they think they are Christians. They are churchgoers. They may even have some basic Bible knowledge. But it's just like the fellow on the outside of the window looking in. You're just an observer tonight. And you might be saying, this has never happened to me. But John says, ye can know. Isn't that the good thing? You can know. And if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you can leave this church meeting tonight with the assurance that you are a child of God. You come by faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, let's look at one more big reason why conversion is radical. Because converts are given an inner anointing of the Spirit. Look at verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One. Now, did you notice verse 20 begins with a but? And the issue that John is dealing with here is those who left the church, those who were falling into error and heresy. They were denying that Jesus was come in the flesh. And he says, they went out from us, but they, because they were not of us. And then verse 20, but ye have an unction from the Holy One. Ye that are born again, you that have got a, a new heart, that have been brought out of darkness into light, you have this anointing, this work of the Spirit within your soul. What a tremendous miracle this is. You're not left alone. This is not your own fuel. This is not human energy. This is the oil of the Spirit poured into your life that brings out new life in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, this made them to know that the Lord and to be faithful to the Lord. Let's read verses 22-23. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? <clears throat> he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. Can it be any clearer? This anointing in our souls makes a tremendous experiential difference. Doubts and fears are gone. Unbelief is gone in our souls. And there is the deepest assurance that Jesus is the Christ of God and our all-worthy Savior. Assurance. That's the wonderful thing of being a Christian. We know God we know the Son, not because of an outward evidence or somebody pushing our buttons, but you have an unction, a life-giving, life-transforming, life-changing work, the oil of the Holy Spirit ministering, energizing, 
turning you to love God and hate the world. That is a powerful, radical thing. Now, it's really what John recorded in the gospel of chapter 15, uh, the branch living in the vine. And that branch draws its life from the sap of the vine. Cut the branch, there's no life. United to the branch, there's fruit, there's growth, there's progress. And you as a Christian are like a branch in the vine, Christ Jesus. And there's going to be growth and life. And John ends the chapter on that note. He says in verse 28, Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence. Confidence. Abide in him. That's what you're to do as a Christian. He has come to abide in you. Now, your part is to abide in him. Don't grieve him by your worldly ways. Don't draw back. Don't lose sight of faith in the Lord Jesus, but love him with all your heart. And here is John's plea, abiding in Christ. It's the secret of Christian living. I'm not going to give you a card with five steps to victory over temptation Monday to Friday. They wouldn't work. You couldn't do them in your own strength. You need the indwelling ministry of the Spirit of God. Now, will you bow to that? Will you pray for that and so live as a born-again Christian? No born-again believer can settle for anything less. Abide. Stay in focus, in union with the Lord, your Lord Jesus, and let His life flow into your life. Ask Him in prayer. Get on your knees and say, Lord, come into me. Live in me. Work in me. Change me. Let your life work mightily in my soul. And the wonderful thing is, as John points out, that it leads us to fellowship with the Father and the Son. You have all of the Father and all of the Son as a Christian. I trust that this chapter will thrill your heart. Now, I have gone very quickly down the chapter. I would ask you to read it every day for at least a week. And let the seed get soaked. Let it soak into your soul. Let it live and become a part of you. What a wonderful encouragement it is to do that. Let's close tonight with the hymn 247. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Six verses. Can we sing them all? Dana says yes. Mrs. Kim, should we sing them all?
Mr. Kim? Yes? Okay, let's sing them all. We'll stand to sing. 247. Dr. McClellan, will you please close the meeting in prayer?
safety and bring us a blessing there. Yes. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.